You know, some people enjoy composing their own music, chord by chord, and others are happiest when they come across that one perfect song. Work is not a lot different than that. Whether you prefer building your own workflow or using a pre-made template, with Monday.com, you and the team can work in a way that's comfortable for everyone. Tap the banner to go to Monday.com and build your own amazing workflow or find an awesome template. No judgment. Election College, Episode 202, Admission to the Union. Let's throw a political party. Face it, the political scene sucks, but did it always? It's time for Election College, and class is in session. Now, your hosts... Jason Goff and Ben Smith. Hey, Ben, way back in episode 27, we talked about secession and can a state leave the United States of America, aka the Union. And, well, after the Civil War, the precedent was pretty much set that you can't. Although some might say, yes, you can. If you want to get your butt kicked, you can. Right. <laughs> so recently, like last week, although if you're listening to this a year from now, a year ago last week, nah, we'll just pretend that we're living in the present. How about that? <laughs> last week, the citizens of Puerto Rico said, sure, let's join the union. And there's a lot of controversy behind that because voter turnout was low and we're not going to get into all of that because that has to do with modern day politics. But what you need to know is there are territories that belong to the United States whose citizens are United States citizens. They can't do certain things. They can do other things pertaining to the rights and privileges of being an American. But for the purposes of this episode, we're going to be talking about how a state can be or a territory or some sort of entity can become a state admitted to the union. It's pretty amazing, Jason, with that vote uh, that Puerto Rico did, even though voter turnout was low, uh, because I think five or so years ago, they voted also to, to for the same kind of thing, to see if they wanted to be admitted to the union, see if they wanted to basically apply for statehood. And the vote was like 50-50, or maybe slightly over 50 on the no side. Uh, this time it was like, uh, I'm forgetting the number, but like 93 or 95 percent for uh, even with that low voter turnout. But um, that's just quite a shift in the five-ish years. Yeah. And there are some people who are saying, well, there were plenty of organizations who are like, don't vote. This is stay out of it. But yeah, mm -hmm. it is quite a shift because even if you take the argument of, well, there are a lot of people who didn't show up, so it doesn't matter. Well, that's a very dramatic number of the people who did come out. So I think there's some credence to it because you've got the uh, governor headed to Washington, D.C. to plead the case for admission. So a lot of stuff that can be said about, well, they're in deep financial trouble. Maybe that's the, yeah. the reason. They broke. <laughs> yeah, they're broke. So, hey, U.S., come and help us out a little bit further. Yeah, we'll leave that for another time. Like, never. <laughs> okay, Jason, so how 
does, now that Puerto Rico has said, yeah, we'd like to become a state, please help us, what happens? Well, the Constitution has a clause called the New States Clause. It's an Article 4, Section 3, Clause 1, and it says that Congress can admit new states into the United States in addition to the ones that are already here. So picture yourself, it's 1788. There's 13 states. Additional states can come along. If you remember a couple of episodes ago, we were talking about, was it George Clinton? Uh-huh. Who had some thoughts about, well, maybe new states shouldn't have the all of the power that the original 13 states had. Well, guess what? That idea didn't exactly pass because the Constitution does say that new states will have equal footing as the original 13. Well, since we're a history show, maybe we should go back like we always do and talk about how things worked under the Articles of Confederation. Because if you remember, in the basically the 1780s, we had the Congress of the Confederation, and they operated with the Articles of Confederation, just like we have the Constitution now. And basically, there was an article in these Articles of Confederation that uh, basically lets Congress admit new states to the Union if other states consent. And at the time, there just had to be nine other states consenting because there were only 13 um, during that period of time. So basically, hey, if nine other states say that they want to have you included into the union, we'll pull you in. We'll go ahead and, and give you a vote and you can decide. Yeah. So the first ordinance, and there were a couple of ordinances about this, was the Land Ordinance of 1784. And our friend TJ Thomas Jefferson wrote that, and it said that west of the Appalachian Mountains and north of the Ohio River and east of the Mississippi River would eventually be divided into 10 different states. And then once an area in within that area had 20,000 residents or people who live there or inhabitants, what have you, they can call a constitutional convention and form a provisional government. So that's pretty much how admission to the Union would have happened under the Articles of Confederation. Of course, this new state would have to have a Republican form of government and, again, have equal footing as other states. And Jefferson actually gave names to the proposed states because why not? TJ was kind of like that. And he also stated that after the year 1800, there should be no slavery or involuntary servitude in any of them. Kind of interesting. I did not know that. (laughs) There was another ordinance that created the Northwest Territory. And basically, this was the first territory that was part of the United States. It actually allowed for several new states to come about within that Northwest Territory. No states did actually come to statehood under that territory system and those ordinances, Uh, but it kind of did set the precedent for what would come later. And of course, there are further ordinances and uh, Congress, you know, deliberates on, um, oh, should we break Kentucky apart from Virginia and admit them to the Union? And uh, we all know how that went. Yeah, Ben, for some reason, that whole topic of the Northwestern Territory interests me so much because... A lot of the weird names that we have for different regions, Mm -hmm. of course, we live in the Midwest and, uh, well, I don't know if your area of Pennsylvania is really considered the Midwest. You're the Western part of the 
northeastern part. Anyway, yeah. you live very close to an area of Ohio that you know was the western reserve area for Connecticut, I believe it was. So you've got you know names like Northwest or Western Territory, which is now in the Midwest. And why do we even call it the Midwest? Because really, Cincinnati, Cleveland, Chicago, you know, it's not the Western part of the country, but <laughs> we carry over so much of that because this was considered the Western part of the United States at the time. And the if you look at just a map of the states that were formerly in the Northwest Territory, everything is squared off. Whereas on the East Coast and even where I'm at in Kentucky, you know, the roads tend to be more crooked and and so on. I don't know. I just like to look at maps and I'm a nerd. <laughs> okay, so at the Constitutional Convention in 1787, uh, there's this proposal. They want to include in the, oh, how, you know, how do new states get admitted? We, we know it's going to happen. How do we prepare for that? They wanted to include the phrase, new states shall be admitted on the same terms with the original states. Uh, that order gets defeated, and it basically would have made it imperative for the Constitution, for the people admitting the states, to include them at the same level. So skip ahead to after the Constitution was passed and into effect, and Congress is like, okay, well, how about Vermont and Kentucky? We go ahead and bring them in on equal terms, and uh, you know we've already got 13 states. Let's bring these two in, uh, because there was some discussion at one point during uh, previous renditions essentially of the constitution where they were like well do we want to give new states the rights that old states have do we want to make them go through something a little more difficult etc and uh, basically they came up with this doctrine i guess you could say uh, called the equal footing doctrine and basically if a state gets invited or brought into the union i kind of like that jason if they get invited yeah, uh, yeah come on in nice join the club it makes it feel good. <laughs> Although in some states' instances, they kind of invited themselves, but that's okay because, you know, everybody likes that occasionally. Sure. Uh, anyway, so new states are invited with the same rights and privileges that old states have. Yeah. So it's kind of interesting, and we've talked about this a little bit before, that you had Vermont and Kentucky, and they Everybody knew that they were going to join the Union eventually, but Kentucky especially was held in, dare I say, kind of a limbo or purgatory when it comes to joining the Union because there was controversy there of like, okay, how do we, how do we go about this? So the Constitution shores it up. Vermont becomes a part of the Union. Ben, we could probably do a whole episode on Vermont and how that was very controversial because it was disputed territory because New York still laid claim to Vermont uh -huh. and others were like, no, you don't. Vermont's yeah. like, nope, we are a sovereign territory. Cause actually I've said this a lot about Texas, you know, being an independent government, having how many flags flying over it, like five flags flying over it um, mm -hmm. at one time or another, including the Republic of Texas. But Vermont was, essentially its own state and what i mean by state is kind of like a 
I'm not going to say complete country, but it was its own thing. So this is how states are supposed to be brought into the Union, according to Article 4, Section 3, Clause 2 of the Constitution. So like Ben said, there are many cases where the people of a territory say, hey, we want to join the Union. And there are other cases where the federal government says, hey, we like you. Come, come be a part of our manifest destiny, right? So <laughs> uh, Clause 2 in Article 4, Section 3 of the Constitution says that an entire territory can become a state. The organized government of that territory can pass some sort of referendum in support of statehood. Congress then directs that government to organize a constitutional convention because you need a constitution for your state in order to become a state. That makes sense. Yeah, so basically then Congress has to accept the constitution. Uh, of course, so do the people of the territory that that constitution was written by. And there's a joint resolution that would be formed and adopted that would basically say, yeah, we're granting statehood to this territory. The president would give a, a proclamation out saying that, hey, we added a new state to the union. So that's kind of the long and short of it. Congress says, you're in. And the state says, cool, here's what we uh, are going to abide by. And then the president's like, cool. And that's, that's basically <laughs> it in a nutshell. <laughs> yeah. So that hasn't always gone well. If you remember the Mormons in Salt Lake City, they sought to establish a state called Deseret in 1849. And excuse me if I'm not pronouncing that right. Is it Deseret or Deseret? Uh, so in 1849, they plead with Congress to admit them to the Union. And Congress is like, mm, not yet, Mormons. We have a war to fight with you. <laughs> and then there was another instance where there were uh, these, quote, and I'm not using this term myself. It's a term that's already created. The five civilized tribes, uh, the Cherokee, the Chickasaw, the Choctaw, the Creek, and the Seminole. Uh, basically, they wanted to have an Indian territory, and they wanted to create the state of Sequoia. And this was back in 1905, uh, so that they could, you know, have a little bit better control over their lands, etc. Uh, the Constitution that they wrote up failed in the Congress, and they ended up bringing in Indian Territory as part of Oklahoma when it was formed in 1907. So uh, they didn't get their way with having the Indian Territory created. That would have been a really cool state name. Oh yeah, Ben Sequoia. Definitely. I think that would be like, I don't know. That would have been pretty tight. Anyway, did I just say tight? Is Do people still say that? I don't think so. I think it's so old that it's cool again. It's fine. Okay. I'm like retro. I'm like an old yeah. t-shirt. Basically. So, Ben, I was just in Utah, and it's crazy because it was almost like 30 or 40 years after the Mormons are pushing to, are asking to become a state, that they finally do get admitted to the Union in like 1896 crazy how long it takes but in the case of some states like alabama it only took a couple of years 
Jason, you said you were just in Utah, and that's kind of funny because I've never been to Utah. I've been to Arizona, but I've never been to Utah, and I flew directly into Arizona. So when somebody says to me, like, oh, yeah, I went to Utah, I'm like, Utah isn't real. I've never been there. It's like an abstract <laughs> state to me that doesn't seem like it exists, even though I know people who have been there, and I know people who you know go to school there and that kind of stuff. It's just kind of funny to me. Oh, it exists. And let me tell that's... you, we were in a windstorm. And we were at Arches National Park, which, by the way, everybody, go visit it. It's really cool. Um, We are sitting at the visitor center in our big old RV, plotting to go through the mountains uh, up up towards Colorado. And the wind was so strong that it actually, part of our air conditioner, the cover for the air conditioner on our RV just went thump and flew (laughs) across the visitor center parking lot. And we did have air conditioning, but I did bungee cord a tarp on top of the RV. So we looked really classy on the way home. But yes, it is indeed a state. It's a very windy at times state, but it's absolutely beautiful. And I'm sure in 1840, the Mormons were like, hey, U.S. government, Look at this beautiful place. Don't you want this to be a part of the union? And I guess Congress, maybe they were like you. They had never been. Jason, are there any states that were like were almost on the verge of statehood and then got basically rejected? Um, I mean, I know that we talked about a couple there, but uh, it seems like there should have been basically a failure rate because we had we've had so many added to the union. We've had what thirty seven since the original thirteen added to the union. Seems like there should have been one in there that was like, oh, we added it. It didn't work out. We got rid of them. Oh, man, that would be horrible. Um, There was the state of Franklin in East Tennessee, what is now East Tennessee. Remember those guys? They're a bunch of Scots-Irish people, which, of course, we've talked about this. We're descended from tend to be very stubborn and independently minded. And uh, they wanted to form a state. And that was rejected kind of in that mess of between the Articles of Confederation and the uh, Constitution. It never happened. But then, of course, present-day Tennessee was part of North Carolina. North Carolina needed to pay their Revolutionary War debt, right? Because each state had to contribute to that. So eventually, the state of Franklin didn't happen, but... Tennessee happened so North Carolina could pay off their debt. Oh, there's the case of the Philippines. Mm, Yeah. yeah. There was a movement after World War II, I believe, where uh, a lot of the Filipino people, and my goodness, this just doesn't sound feasible, does it? A lot of the Filipino people wanted to become a part of the United States as as a state. Of course, that didn't happen. Yeah. Crazy. Hey, do you want to talk a little bit about the flag? Yes, I do. I think it's kind of cool that we live in a country uh, that, well, every time a state is added, we we change it a little bit. It is written into law that any time a state is admitted to the Union, the next 4th of July, a new Stars and Stripes becomes the official flag of the United States. So the last time our flag changed was in... 1960, because in 1959, Alaska and Hawaii were admitted to the Union, and a 17-year-old, well, at least in 1958, he was 17 years old, Robert G. Heft, 
was designing a flag in high school. And he's like, hey, this would look cool. And his teacher said, meh, I give you a B minus for that design. <laughs> but two <laughs> years later, he is standing at the National Mall with President Dwight D. Eisenhower watching his flag being lifted over the U.S. Capitol. It's kind of funny, Jason, because in oh, 1912, when Arizona, New Mexico, etc., got brought into the Union, you have to imagine they were like, okay, look, we can't go further north into Canada. We can't go further south into Mexico. We know this is going to be the final flag. And then some wise guy uh, decides 40 years later, hey, we're going to get these two territories that are like way out here. We'll go ahead and make sure they're in the flag too. Yeah, exactly. It's a designer's it's kind nightmare. Of fun. Right. <laughs> like, oh no. And it seems like an odd number of stars might be a little bit harder to design, but I don't know. Um, a lot of people have said if Puerto Rico becomes a state, maybe Washington, D.C. will become a state. Or I don't know if there's a movement anywhere else in any of the other territories to for statehood. The citizens of Puerto Rico, they do have every right as American citizens, with the exception of some of the federal deals. Uh, namely, you can't elect the president. You don't have representation in Congress. That could be a pretty big deal. Oh, yeah, definitely. So that's it. Do you live somewhere that wants to be admitted to the union? Probably not, most likely. But if you do, uh, let us know what's your opinion on bringing your territory in. I know we have a few. Uh, well, we have plenty of individuals who live outside the United States, but we probably have a few individuals who live in some of the United States territories. And especially if you live in Puerto Rico, we'd love to hear from you and uh, what your opinion is and just what you think it could bring or not bring to your territory. Yeah, and I would love to see some designs. Hey, if you would like to shoot us over a picture of what you think a 51 star flag would look like. I think that'd be kind of cool to see. Absolutely. Hey, Ben, I just wanted to give a shout out. Uh, you know who you are, people who have left us reviews in the last week. We Man, we've gotten a flood of them. Thank you so much. It's awesome. It's such an encouragement to see good feedback coming in keep that up you can head over to itunes and leave us a review you can also interact with us on our social media channels we're on twitter facebook and instagram just like everybody else at election college and of course you can help support the podcast by giving a financial contribution to election college on our patreon page you can do that by visiting electioncollege.com slash patreon that's p-a-t-r-e-o-n thanks everybody we'll talk to you next time It's lunchtime at Tim Hortons, and we're serving up a special deal just for you. Our new $5.99 lunch deal includes your choice of any lunch sandwich and a side of crunchy kettle chips. Because what's lunch without a little crunch? And the sandwich choice is all yours. Like a ham and Swiss, Chipotle chicken wrap, BLT, and more. Made to order just the way you like it. Tim Hortons' new lunch deal. Simple, delicious, and just $5.99. Now that's a good deal. Only at your neighborhood Tim's. U.S. only. Price and participation vary. Terms apply.